Hey guys, Tom Marshall here with Recoil TV's podcast. I am the editor of Recoil Off-Grid Magazine, and I am here with Dave Merrill, who is the editor of Recoil Concealment Magazine. And we're talking about something that is unfortunately in the news once again, and that is active shooter incidents. We recently had two very high profile and unfortunately somewhat successful active duty incidences that popped up on opposite ends of the country in a matter of 48 hours or so. So one of the things that we need to keep in mind about this, and we, we all know about reactionary laws and everything else. That's not what this is about. In terms of like the root causes and the ideology behind it and all of that, that is for policymakers and lawmakers uh, long, and law enforcement officers over a longer period of time. The fact of the matter is you as an individual cannot solve a massive, complex societal problem by yourself. So we like to focus on what you can actually solve what you can solve and how you can solve it in that situation. That doesn't always mean running in with a gun. You hear the guys, I would have just, as he says, with his Cheeto dusted fingers in mom's basement, right? And, and playing. So the reason why we train, the reason why we carry guns, the reason why we think through these scenarios and talk through these scenarios is so if for God's sake, you're ever in that moment or near it, you have already have some plans and you know about your capabilities before you just go run in. I mean, Tom, you ever heard um, the phrase like, oh, well, it can't get any worse. <laughs> and uh, guess fact, what? It can. Yeah. I mean, there are very few things, if any, that you cannot make worse through your own action or inaction. Your intent, your intent doesn't matter at all. All the good intentions doesn't save the world. And so you need to be mindful of your capabilities and, and think about this process uh, before it actually happens. So this week on Recoil Web, uh, we had an article called Fools Rush In, uh, the calculus of armed interdiction. Now, it sounds a little bit like, uh, you know, like, oh, oh, just don't do anything. That is something that, that we hear often, right? Like you, you hear that from people that are against CCW, like you're just going to make the problem worse. And I mean, you can if you just run in like an idiot. The other thing that you hear a lot is the best thing you can do is be a good witness, right? Stand back, don't get involved, and be a good witness for the police. You now, hear that a lot. That can be good advice, depending. However, your level of involvement in a situation like this is dependent on a number of factors, and some of which is just kind of what, what kind of person you are. So there are people that we like to call high responders, and the high responders are the ones that see someone that is hurt on the side of the road and they stop and help. They call the police. Uh, they're often drawn to careers in uh, military law enforcement and EMS. These are our helpers. These are our heroes, right? And if you know you're that kind of person and that you're going to be involved, you especially need to think these through, the, through these scenarios because I mean, there have been plenty of times where people just run in trying to help and trying to do something and end up getting in the way. Um, there is kind of like a, a scale of involvement that uh, Tamara Keel originally came up with, and it's, it's called 
can, may, should, must. And it all started from these internet macho tough guys saying, um, can I shoot them yet? Like they view any situation, any situation through the lens of can I shoot them yet? I mean, the answer is, I mean, you can do a lot of things. <laughs> you can do all sorts of things, but it doesn't mean it is the right course of action or even the legal course of action. So when we kind of go through the can, may, should, must, it is a continuum. So every, every previous, <clears throat> every, it's, they stack their decisions that stack up on top of each other. Uh, th these can happen quickly. Uh, and it is not the same as escalation of force. Your escalation of force is dependent on your jurisdiction, where you live, what your situation is. This is concurrent. This is about your level of involvement. And, and the first question is, can you reasonably solve this problem with what you have? Do you have the time, tools, material, knowledge, and know-how to solve that particular problem? If it is someone on the side of the road and you pull over and you help, yeah, you can help change a tire. Um, but if it is a dozen guys with AKs in the mall and you have a wheel gun and a pocket knife, I mean, maybe you can do something, but is that the best use of your time? And just because you can't solve the problem with a gun, we are, I mean, you know, I'm the editor of Concealment Magazine, we're very clearly firearms focused and about these skills and techniques, but doesn't mean the gun is always the best solution. If you, if you determine what, be it from your own personal skill, or even just because you don't want to take the risk there, it doesn't mean that there's nothing you can do. Yeah, you can help, you can, you can call the police and give good information to dispatchers and law enforcement about the situation on the ground. You can help people exit the area. You can drag out wounded. You can protect people perhaps in your immediate area without going and actively engaging with these people. So that's just the can. That's just the, the basics of it. Just because you can't solve it with a gun right then and there doesn't mean you can't help. And reducing as much pain and loss of life in these situations, if you are someone that's a high responder, is going to be your immediate priority. And that's that, that's why they rush in, because, you know, they're helpers. But then we get into the May. May I shoot this person? Well, uh, part of that is yeah, yeah, kind of twofold on that. One is, do you understand enough about the totality of circumstances to actually know what's going on? Uh, one of the things that happens, unfortunately, frequently in this country and others is uniformed, trained, experienced law enforcement officers will end up shooting a plainclothes officer. Maybe they're working undercover. Maybe it's a U.S. marshal. And they end up because they go in there and they're not quite sure who the bad guys are. So they make snap judgments. It's not it's not even their fault. It is just kind of what happens here. Everyone has their own calculus as to what is acceptable and what's going on. And the thing about that is there are very clear cut scenarios. If you're in a grocery store and there's a guy with body armor shooting at people, we know what's happening right then and there. Um, pretty easy. If it's two people shooting out in the street or maybe two groups of people shooting out in the street, do you know what that's about? 
Do you know if it's undercover? Do you know if it's uh, gangland stuff? Do you know who the bad guys are? Because if you don't know who the bad guys are, you probably don't want to go in there guns blazing. Well, to, to that point, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I bring up when I have when these discussions come up, which they always do. I always assume that the first hundred calls that go to local 911 are going to be, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, there's a guy with a gun. And if you if you are that high responder or you, you, you've got that streak and you say, I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be the guy to respond and local police shows up behind you and you're the you're the person they see with a gun first. It's a risk factor to consider. John Hurley, a uh, hero, stopped, stopped a mass shooting in Colorado, stopped further, further uh, loss of life, uh, got killed by responding officers. He was a guy with a gun in a place where there's a mass shooting. So I mean, maybe we should have started with this. I mean, you have, to, you have to take this truly to heart if you are a high responder. Your odds of dying, either by the hands of the bad guy or a good guy, are much greater when you involve yourself. And it can be through no fault of your own. Uh, special forces guys can get killed by teenagers. Professional NASCAR drivers can get T-boned by a 15-year-old with a learner's permit, right? And so the reason why we train is to help mitigate and reduce some of these things, but you can never eliminate all risk. And for a lot of people, um, I would... I consider it a good death. If I died trying to help save lives, and even if a good guy got me, that seems like a pretty worthy death. But now onto the um, we did can and we did may. So let's talk about should. What dictates a should? So should is where the high responder types, the guys that are drawn to drawn to law enforcement EMS, are going to intervene. Like they won't be able to help themselves. And that one is is my interdiction going to stop this or reduce the loss of life? Like, do I have a good chance of solving this problem? Do I understand enough about this problem to solve it? Is it clear cut enough? And am I going to save lives if I do it? And so that's where the, the, the should comes in. We're not talking about even a legal obligation. I mean, sworn law enforcement officers in this country don't have a legal obligation for all manner of things, but they still will do it, or at least most, at least the, at least most of them. That's why they became cops in the first place. And you, you hit that point for should, but there's another caveat to should. Do you have other responsibilities? If you are at Walmart and you have your four-year-old with you and there's no one else there, now, what do you do? Have you thought that through? Have you thought about what you're going to do in that situation? You shouldn't be able to, you shouldn't have to figure this out when it's happening. You should be like, oh, here's my four-year-old. We're going to go this way. I have friends and actually, so Melody Lauer wrote a phenomenal piece and it's done several videos about concealed carrying while like hat, while wearing a baby and having children and citizen, uh, children around them. Citizens Defense Research does an awful lot of this gunfighting around children because we care about our kids, but the people shooting into the crowd damn well doesn't care about our kids. So like they have a plan where um, her husband, it's actually her responsibility to make sure the kids are safe. And she's the one with the gun because she's the one that is more proficient. It's a little, you know, it seems a little strange, you know, hundred pound woman, but you know, a handgun, 
in the right hands is a, is a very good equalizer. It, it doesn't guarantee your outcome, but it gives you a chance, right? And that's what we're looking for. That's why we train. We want to increase our survivability and the survivability of others. And then must, that is when the decision is made for you. They are right here. They are right here in front of you. Um, and now you have to do something or you and yours are going to die. Like if the alternative is death, man, try anything. Something that reminds me of is a, uh, is run, hide, fight that we've talked about before with like school shootings. And, you know, of course you run, you hide, and then your, your final, your final state is fight. And, you know, maybe you're throwing math books at a guy with an AK 47. Now, would that be your first weapon of choice? No. I mean, I don't think you'd run through a crowd with a textbook <laughs> at someone with a, with, with it. But when it comes down to that, you actually fight. And then not so much with active shooters, because we know they will continue to kill unless they are confronted with lethal force, uh, in which case, if they are um, kind of a typical active shooter, they will kill themselves or capitulate. But if they are an ideologically driven terrorist, they're going to press the fight. I mean, they're, they're going to fight dying on their feet. Uh, for you in the moment at the time, all that stuff is some intellectual things people can write some papers about later. But sometimes compliance or appearing to comply, if it is a criminal act, can work. We don't like talking about it. Uh, so Greg Elifritz of Active Response Training, uh, we call him Gorilla Fritz, you know, because he is approximately a refrigerator with legs, okay? Mm -hmm. And he's not, and I'm not talking about like, obesity. He is a big dude. He is a shaved gorilla, hence Gorilla Fritz. He had some guys, cops actually, in Africa, shove an AK in his face and rob him. Did he fight them? No, he gave him his wallet. And just because you comply doesn't always mean it helps either. And, he, and he's written about that. But what you need to do is you need to think about your options when these things happen. Um, just like escalation of force, there are certain ramps off the highway you can take before you get to that point when you involve yourself in these situations, assuming that these decisions aren't made for you, like you're in the middle of it. You want to find places uh, you can go. I think William April called them car spots. You want to have places that you know you can park your car. This is my response here. This is my response here. Uh, one of the things that makes humans really adept problem solvers is we have the ability to learn from the experiences of others. And we communicate that through language. And the best way to do that, you know, yeah, we all want to get our CCW first and we do all this stuff. We do our basic drills and we take a shooting class and a shooting class gets you like much faster, much more accurate and better split times. But that doesn't tell you how to think about a problem and how to break a problem down. So the can, may, should, must is a, is a thought exercise that you should spend some time contemplating if you're a concealed carrier in general, and if you're a high responder in particular, so you don't go in there and cause other problems for people because you could be running in and now there's another guy just like you also responding. I mean, there is no, there is no magic good guy code and hand phrase. We all run on all sorts of cues. And so you have to, you have to keep that in mind if that's happening. And, you know, you ask the internet tough guys and I'll just go in there and shoot them or uh, there, you know, there was a, 
a shooting, uh, sorry, a targeted assassination in Philadelphia last week where two guys got out of a car, ran across a parking lot in this gas station, fired uh, 20 some odd rounds into this guy, and then were feet dry back in that car in 14 seconds. What can you do in that situation? You can uh, put your head down. You can duck down. You might be able to draw, but then like before you can even comprehend what's going to happen, it's gone. And I like to say the internet, they're going to be like, well, first I'm going to grab the plate carrier in the back of my truck. 14 seconds. Some of this stuff happens fast. So it's just while, you know, the politicians are bloviating about, you know, whatever particular thing that they're, that, their side says we'll take no 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 let let them let the talking heads deal with that you need to think about you and yours because literally your life and the lives of others depend on it um also one other thing about it and this is more on the criminal side uh you know active shooter it says death or not on the criminal side nobody goes into a lethal force encounter like deadly force thinking that they're wrong right like they're they're pretty certain that they know what's going on and then things can kind of escalate out of control and is that force legally justified can make the difference between like a criminal conviction and not being criminally convicted but depending on your state uh, you could also have an awful lot of civil liability and even if you win that court case man anyone that has ever been involved in the american legal system as a defendant will tell you that it is time consuming and expensive I mean, the um, the process is the punishment for some of this stuff. So, you know, even if you get off the amount of time and effort you have to spend defending yourself, is that worth it? And these are these are questions we all need to ask ourselves, especially before it's a, it's a bit of maturity before you just put on a gun and then go get in a fist fight in McDonald's. Even even if you win, you can still lose. Yeah. Or the other way is um, you might beat the charge, but you can't beat the ride. Mm-hmm. Like, um, yeah, so it, it, it's a lot to consider. It, it, yeah, it's a heavy topic. I mean, we, we're talking we're talking about active shooters and terrorists and, and, and responding and other people responding. And there's a lot of chaos in those situations. So the best bet, yeah, is hunker down. If like it's just if survivability, mere survivability is your goal, hunker. Uh, if you're a high responder, uh, man, get some training. Also, uh, medical, medical. Uh, so a lot of our, a lot of our peers, I'm sure you've seen this in the off grid side, right? Like, uh, medical's not sexy, man. Like guns. I mean, look, do I have pictures of doctors and tourniquets on the wall behind me? <laughs> no, I got guns. Guns are awesome. They're, they're, they're all sorts of things. Guns are the sexy part of it. Bleeding out is not. And I mean, no matter what you do, you can't make a medical class as sexy as a shooting class, man. It doesn't look as cool on Instagram. It's not as much fun, but boy, you can save an awful lot of lives and not just in shootings. I mean, uh, post COVID, post lockdown, car crashes are going way up. A lot more, a lot more jerks on the road. Um, and a lot more people just, you know, text in and everything else. You can't control what other drivers do. You can just, and you can't control what people are carrying in their pockets. So you can control kind of your reaction to them. And um, like something that I've personally done 
um, is I built out more of the med kit in my car because just statistically, just by raw numbers, by me living in a big city, by me having a daily commute, I know my odds of being in a nasty car crash or coming across one are very good. So I mean, that's one of the things that I've, you know, taken upon myself to get better at because I, I am the guy that stops on the side of the road. And then once I went up to somebody and I had no gloves and they were bloody and I had the presence of mind to not touch them, but not everyone's going to. Yeah. Or some people are going to go, well, this person needs help and they're, they're going to render aid and, you know, there's second and third order effects potentially for them, health effects after that, depending on what they come into contact with, right? And what their hands are. And then the thing is about car accidents is there's always pointy, stabby, sharpie. You got broken mm-hmm. glass, you got twisted metal. There's an awful lot of ways for you to open up your own hands while you're trying to work on somebody else. And yeah, and medical stuff, like you said, it's a it's a tough sell, particularly uh, in the social media culture, because what would you rather watch a video of on Instagram, somebody putting on a tourniquet or a bill drill? Yeah. I mean, you know, and and in some ways, you know, you can look at a bill drill and you can go, all right, that's super attainable. But then you look at, at medical stuff, medical training in general is really not that old when you think about it like you know we think about like yeah there were healers and everything else but look at the contents of a world war ii medical kit i mean what'd you have like i don't know a little heroin and then some wound packing stuff pretty pretty much i don't think it was until was it vietnam or after vietnam that you started you didn't even see tourniquets in in military uh you know medical kits and ifacs and things like that the old, the old training was, uh, was that a tourniquet was always a last ditch effort. Like when I was a kid growing up in Boy Scouts, it was like, never put a tourniquet on anything. But we've had two decades of war in the United States and uh, our survivability has been greater than ever. And our, our medical technology always gets much better. And although we, although a tourniquet could cause compartment syndrome, you know, like killing the limb of what you're, what, what you're cranking down on. Uh, we have much better tools and techniques and medicines to deal with that uh, than we used to back in those days. And so we found out in the Boston bombing, man, I mean, an improvised tourniquet is better than no tourniquet, but you know, what's better than an improvised tourniquet, a real tourniquet yeah. and Boston bombing is a great example. Not a problem. You could fix with a gun. Oh yeah. Here, here, here you go. Boom. Now what? Yeah, a bomb already went off. I can't shoot it. So now what? You know, and, and that, that plays into, you know, what we're talking about, about, you know, if, if you perceive yourself as a high responder, whether you're an actual sworn or not, or you're, you're a civilian who feels that you have a, a strong compulsion or you're maybe a veteran that's got some experience uh, or, you know, you, you, you're a training junkie and you've got school after school under your belt. Um, you know, there, but there is, there is definitely more to it than than the shooting portion and and medical medical is definitely a great one to start with uh i'm i'm gonna throw in i've got three m's medical marksmanship and movement and i'm gonna bounce here a little i'm gonna talk about movement um i have a hashtag unpopular opinion that i think a basic level cqb course is good for everybody caveat not for the reason that you think Okay. Everybody, everybody looks at CQB and they, they think, I, you typically hear one of two things, right? One, 
it's uh you know what is it it's cowboy fantasy camp right or it's 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 operator fantasy camp uh the guys that take that training only take it because they want to pretend like they're special forces or swat guys or, or whatever uh, you know it wasn't I'd like to say if it wasn't for the dentists, you know, with their Harley Davidsons and fake motorcycle clubs taking classes like that, most of those instructors wouldn't be around to teach the meat eaters those classes. Yep. So I think keep that in mind, but sorry. No, on. no, that's okay. Also a good point. Um, but the, the second thing that comes along with that is I think I would argue that most people going into a CQB class or, or outside people looking in who maybe haven't taken this training, but they know it's out there. They've seen videos of it on YouTube or, or Instagram. I think the immediate default in terms of, well, how do, how do we imagine those skills being used? I think the default is, well, if I'm taking a course about CQB or room clearing, or whatever you want to call it, if I have to use those skills, I'm going to use them to clear a room. Right. And, and we'll go back to the active shooter example, maybe a, a workplace or, or something like that, you know, right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to clear my way to the, to the bad guy and I'm going to engage possible. Sure. I would argue where the quote unquote average person gets more out of that is that in order to be successful in a CQB slash room clearing environment, you have to learn how to visually process the world around you in a very specific, very methodical way. And even if your intent, even if you are at the run end of run, hide, fight, the skills that you learn uh, for like room clearing 101, I think are still really valuable because if you are trying to egress from an area where an active shooter is, is doing their work, you can do one of two things. You can pick a direction and run blindly and hope that you don't come around a corner and crash face to face into this guy and become the next victim. Or if you know just a little bit about how to pie a corner, how angles work, how dead space works, even if you don't have a gun in your hand, even if you don't have a gun on your person, you can still use those same visual processing skills to more safely affect your egress. You also are taught to recognize your, your high kill zones, right? You know, hallways, doorways, et cetera. You know where the fatal funnels are. Uh, the comparison I always like to use for, you know, the, the crazy jocked up classes is, you know, just because you're not a race car driver doesn't mean that learning how to drive a race car and double clutching or what I'm not a car guy, <laughs> but just because you're not that guy doesn't mean you can't take some of those lessons and apply them to your daily life. And kind of like we we're talking about before, you have to have like this basis of your capabilities. You can always scale down, but you cannot just instantly scale up in the moment. And I think that's where a lot of people get lost because they buy a gun and then they're like, okay, I'm good. And then they have this situation where they're like, oh, if I just show the gun, then they're just going to run. They're just going to scamper off. Well, that could that could be true even in a majority of cases. But then you run into the guy who doesn't care you have a gun or your pre-planned response in your head. Doesn't work and it breaks down your imagination. You have a failure of imagination, a failure of understanding because this other person, other persons here always get a vote. You know, we're not, we're not robots. That's why we have to stop and, and think about problem solving. So yeah, I, I, okay, Tom, 
We talked about this a little before, so I'm, I'm agreeing with you here. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, like I said, I would, I would argue that the uh, e even if you don't actually clear a room with a rifle in your shoulder, uh, the, the visual skills can be isolated and weaponized with or without actually having a weapon in your hand. Uh, so I think, yeah, I think there's something to be said for understanding how to move, whether you use it offensively or defensively. I, I still think that there's valuable skills that come out of that kind of training for people. Also, if you know typically how people move through structures like that, you can kind of anticipate perhaps where they're, what they're going to do or what's coming. Yeah, ab absolutely. So yeah, so you've got medical, you've got, we've talked about it, the movement a little bit. So let's, uh, we're going to, we're, we're doing this backwards, but, but let's go to the, probably the M that everybody thinks of first, which is marksmanship, right? Uh, go take a, a, a good shooting class from a reputable instructor, uh, test your carry gear, right? Test your ammo, at least have an understanding of your baselines for, you know, things like first shot from the draw and things like that. I think a, a discussion that needs to be had that doesn't happen often enough is what are acceptable standards? Because when you look at Instagram or YouTube, the acceptable standard is always absolutely as friggin' fast as you could possibly go. Because that's what get clicks and likes and subscriptions. Do you need to go as fast as you can possibly human go, humanly go? And if you do, maybe there's some trade-offs to that, particularly in an environment like Buffalo, right? This past weekend, shopping stores full of people. Um, do you do you want to just pull all the you know pull off all the all the brakes and you know go blazing speed and hope that? you know, there's no collateral or nobody crosses your path as you're trying to make that shot. And he's wearing body armor. So he was engaged and was shot and it had no effect because he had played, he, he was, it was planned and he had armor on. And so then it becomes, okay, what do you do? Do you have the skill to make that headshot? Do you know what to do? Otherwise, have you trained in those things? Um, you don't have to be the best in the world to win at something like this. Um, Luck helps, but you just have to be good enough. You have to be good enough. Like, you know, some people are like, oh, if you can't this or you can't that, man, crack open any old NRA publication and it shows like, you know, elderly people successfully defending themselves, you know, with a gun that they never used before. And just because it can be done doesn't mean it's ideal. Do you think that those people were like, oh, thank God I never trained with my gun. <laughs> I doubt well, it. And let, let me let me get ahead of the comment thread here a little bit and say neither one of us are saying that speed is bad. If you've got a, a reliable, consistent, accurate sub one second first shot from the draw, good on you. Yeah. If you don't have it and you work real hard and you can get it, good on you. We're not saying that speed is bad. We're just saying that if you... Don't think that just because you don't have a sub one second draw, it doesn't mean you can't win. I mean, we're, we're, we're people, right? We all have our hobbies and people are into, I don't know, anime girl pillow collections or whatever they have going on. We only have so much attention that, that we can spend on things like this. And so that's why you need to stop and you need to prioritize. If you have no medical training, man, take a stop the bleed class. They are free in many places or they're very inexpensive. Uh, I would highly recommend you take them in person. You can take them online, get CPR certified, Heimlich Maneuver. We talked about how medical was relatively new. 
Uh, while our parents were alive, CPR and Heimlich were not commonly taught. So CPR wasn't, uh, they, they had different parts of it around the turn of the last century, but they didn't put it all together till later. Heimlich, same thing. CPR and Heimlich, basic, basic life-saving skills that Girl Scouts are taught, okay? Under a century old. Now on the grand scale yeah. of human experience, I mean, that is a very small amount of time. And we still, we will never know how many people, how many lives have been saved from knowing CPR and Heimlich, because right now, as we're talking, a bunch of people in the world have been saved by those techniques. And then bleeding out is one of the number one ways people die uh, a preventable, uh, die from a preventable death from an injury and learning how to stop the bleed. We've learned an awful lot of new stuff. So even if you have that, you know, we don't do rescue breaths anymore for CPR, for example, that is something that has changed. These things change, they get updated, especially, especially um, after the wars and everything else. We get more, we get more hands-on experience and hard-won lessons, right? So you need to take those to heart. So like, those are things you can do right now. Even just watching a YouTube video on it is going to be better than just assuming you know what the heck is going on and what to do. And I mean, and that's not a time-consuming thing. You and a buddy can go on a Saturday afternoon and bribe them with lunch and uh, take a stop the bleep class. It is not sexy. Yeah. It is not as cool as, you know, going and shooting 500 rounds. Gosh, how much does that cost now yeah. on a Saturday and Sunday? Yeah, I think uh, I took stop the bleed a couple of maybe a year or two ago. I want to say the class is about four hours. And in my area, it is free. There are multiple like nonprofit and volunteer type groups. And I bet if you contact a local fire station, they'll probably tell you where to go. Uh, they might be able to do it right there for you, you know, even just one-on-one -on -one, uh, if you if you express the interest. But yeah, Stop the Bleed, it is, uh, I would argue, probably the new, kind of like the new CPR, kind of new, the new Heimlich, right? Which again, you know, you said less, the, the, those, those skill sets are less than a century old. I would argue among I'm going to I'm going to try to avoid the use to use the word normal people, quote unquote, but um, to just say normies, just say yeah. normies. It makes it more arrogant. And that's why I like it. Well, the right. normies. But, but for the, for those techniques to be widespread among the general populace, I think is kind of the metric I'm looking at here. I would argue less than 50 years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. These are things that should be taught in, in health classes. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, um, I've had choking incidents with my seven-year-old before, right? And anyone out there with kids or is an aunt or an uncle to some kids, you know that yep. kids are dumb and put things in their mouth and uh, choke on things. And adults do it too. And <laughs> yeah. so it, it's just good to learn that. If you ask around your friends, you're going to find some people, some regular, normal people that have had to do CPR, have been witness to CPR or the Heimlich. One of my friends uh, a month ago or so had to do CPR on a guy in his jujitsu class. Uh, he did not make it, unfortunately, but yeah, rough, rough. Yeah. But, uh, you know, heart attack, whole thing. And if you don't have that, if you, when you have those skills and knowledge, you're not going to sit there and go... I don't know what to do. And you're not going to get in the way. I mean, I guess you can always pull out your phone and, uh, and put it on TikTok. But <laughs> Hang on. Let me look up how to do the Heimlich real quick. You know, yeah. 
It'll be the, I'm going to be an old man yelling in the clouds, but I'm just waiting for an active shooter and then a bunch of people have their phones just instead. But I mean, those things are helpful, actually, like in the Charlie Hebdo shooting in France and people had their phones out and they're like, why do they have their phones? I'm like, because they're French civilians with no guns against terrorists with AKs in the street. And at least with that video, we could, uh, we had better knowledge and could break down and have a better understanding of how that whole thing went. So I'm not going to dog too much on the camera people, besides the fact that the people holding the cameras, if they were helpers, if they were high responders people, they would be in there helping, not recording. So I think, I think maybe kind of the bystander effect has, has always been, has been there. And if no one is taking charge, then, well, I guess it's your responsibility. I hope you know what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, you bring up, uh, so you, you mentioned using phones. So I'm, that's going to, that's going to be the segue. So we have talked a lot about sort of a branch tree decision-making, right. Uh, and then we talked about, you know, what kind of training and, and individual preparation goes into being able to kind of really work your way successfully through those, through those branch trees. Um, I think one of the things we haven't touched on is, what can you do ahead of time, aside from train, right? Uh, but what sort of proactive measures can you take in your life? And maybe some of this is going to apply a little more to the criminal activity side than the active shooter, because man, active shooters pop up everywhere all the time at a time and place of, of the shooters choosing. There's yeah, exactly. kind, of, kind of really only so much you can do about that. But in terms of criminal activity, which does tend to trend and it does tend to concentrate in certain areas, uh, there, there are some things that that we can do. And Dave, you actually used a term I hadn't heard before that I really like, uh, urban IPB. And for, for those of us who are not uh, veterans of military intelligence, IPB stands for Intelligence Preparation of the Battlefield. Uh, and it's basically the process you go through before uh, before the army is going to invade an area. They do their they do research. They do research on, you know, where are the bad guys hanging out and what kind of equipment do they have and where are their their bases and things like that. And again, just like with CQB, that is a militaristic skill set. It's a skill set that we draw from military and law enforcement that is that can absolutely, with just a little bit of, of imagination, become very, very useful and practical in everyday application for citizens of all flavors. I actually um, use a number of apps, not just, I, I would actually say it's for risk mitigation. I think what makes active shooters so scary is that they do just show up someplace. You know, if you live in a major city, you know the bad parts of town. But if you're not from that city, you might not know. And if you're not paying attention, you might not know. I like the uh, the Citizen app because uh, it, it it's user contributor contributed. So you have to have a lot of people contributing in your area for it to uh, be the most useful. But it's not only like high crime areas, but also places where there's a lot of auto accidents. I know the most dangerous intersections uh, by my home and I know which ones they are. I mean, they made sense once I thought about it for a minute, but I went, oh, okay. I know if I'm in that intersection, there's not, people don't die there every day, but there's crashes there a lot. And you don't always see it because I'm not sitting there on the intersection. And it allows you to identify areas of higher risk. Um, Crime maps are, are really good. I tend to stick to the violent crime. You get a large major city, there's all sorts of crime everywhere. I am less worried about burglary than I am about, uh, you know, felonious assault and murder. 
And so just kind of take a, a larger look at the map and then you can kind of see the areas. And just because it's a bad area doesn't mean it's bad all the time either. I mean, the people that live in those bad areas, they have even a better kind of map, a mental map, because they live there. They know, all right, this area of high transit and small commercial corner stores and cash for gold at this major intersection is always a problem. Is that going to be a problem at 9.45 in the morning? Much like less, much yeah, it either can happen any time, but you are less likely to have a problem then than you are when the bar when the bar next door comes out or something like that. There's there's a, there's a whole series of things you can do. I also like a flight aware twenty four seven. If you are in a city that has uh, a police helicopter, if you hear a helicopter, you see it. You can actually set up so you can follow them, and all you have to do is uh, you can just look at the current and all previous flight paths of the police helicopters. Because police helicopters, if they're trending all in one area, that means there's enough of a threat that warrants police helicopters there on a regular basis. Places you might want to avoid. Um, and then, I, Tom, I know you thought this was funny. Uh, so I had a map of all the murders in my city. And there were two or three places where there were more than one murder at that um, business. Over the course of over the course of a year, and then I further looked it up. It wasn't like a mass shooting. It was like, oh, three people in the last four months have been shot in the parking lot of this place. So I pull up my Google Maps. I drop a pin on it, and I label it "Do Not Go" right on there. So if I'm pulling something up in Google Maps or I'm looking for something, and then it's right by that "Do Not Go" pin. Well, I'm going to consider. I'm going to. I'm going to consider if I do need to be there, or if I. If, but if I do have to be there, what time I'm going to be there? What time I'm going to go? I'm of the viewpoint that I want to go anywhere and do anything that I want. It is just that I also do not want to be involved needlessly in any kind of criminal activity and be a victim of it. And so I will still go to the places when I want, where I want. I just don't want to go where I might, where my, the increases of me having to use my CCW go up. I'm not looking for an internet trophy. I'm not looking for the George Zimmerman award. Okay. The year and a half trial and bankruptcy, and then doing celebrity boxing or something afterwards, because the rest of your life is gone. So. Yeah. The, uh, the Google, the Google pin thing, like I did, I got a kick out of that. Uh, and frankly, hadn't thought about it. Uh, citizen obviously is, is kind of one of the, the better known apps for this kind of thing, but even, you know, what's really popular around here is Facebook groups. You know, there's a, there's a police scanner Facebook group. So, you know, if you don't have a scanner, you don't have the desire to, you know, have one next to your TV squawking at you all day. Uh, you know, you can join neighborhood or, or city based police scanner groups. And yep. you scroll through the posts every couple hours and it'll kind of the ones near me, they're really good at saying, hey, intersection of, you know, First Street and Second Avenue, uh, you know, multiple black and whites on scene areas taped off, you know, and of course, a, a Facebook post is, is it's time stamped, you know, state date time group on it. Um, so you can, again, talking about trying to establish patterns for times, days of the week, you know, times of the year, maybe where activity will spike. Uh, you know, those kind of, like I said, even Facebook groups uh, are, are, can be really good for that. 
Google Street View, uh, if you don't really know a lot about an area, is good. One of the problems here is that everything is a little bit grimier and dirtier uh, since 2020. Everything is a little bit rougher. Uh, and that's why I focus on the type of crime rather than, you know, crime itself. Um, it's inconvenient if my car is broken into. It is life altering if I get into a gunfight on the street, no matter how it goes. And so it's, it's all about setting priorities, I suppose. Um, Snapchat Live was also really good for that because you can see the heat maps of activity. Because uh, when there's a lot of stuff going on, we're talking about people pulling out their phones. Well, here's an advantage. If a lot of people pull out their phones, it might be seeing Lady Gaga at a thing, or it could be, you know, a big uh, police incident or a big fire or something like that that's going on. So uh, we, have a, we have a lot of tools that we can use, and some areas in particular are going to be better than others. Uh, for larger scale stuff, uh, to, uh, local hashtags on Twitter are good to follow because then things pop up. Um, also, um, Many fire and EMS uh, places have a, a live listing of all their 911 callouts. You won't find that for police departments, but the thing is, is quite often when the police are called to a critical incident like that, so is fire and EMS. And so you can go down those codes too, and you can see, okay, where's this happening? Okay, where's this happening? And just because I get curious and I'm nosy, sometimes I'll see an ambulance on the side of the road and then I'll look it up and then be like, oh, Someone had a heart attack. Okay. You know, so those are things you can do. That's especially important uh, if they're responding to a lot of overdoses, because where there's a lot of overdoses, there's a lot of crime. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you start talking about like layering capabilities, right? So if you have, you know, if you're in a couple of these Facebook groups or, you know, you've got a couple of these apps, or like you said, you can even check in at the department level or search local hashtags. If you have a, group chat with a couple of your neighbors or some of your family members that are in the area or you have a, a, a discord with you know maybe your group of like your group of range buddies right that that all go out and shoot together once or twice a month you know if everybody gets on those you know or at least one or two of you guys get on those groups right well guess what if you pick up the news and you know that you know one of your friends lives in that area and hey guys stay away from stay away from the corner of first and second you know i just saw such and such on this group or you know, Snapchat live heat map, if you're driving, avoid that area or whatever it is. Right. Um, but yeah, then, you know, now there are things that not only you can do for yourself, but that you can do for, you know, your friends, family, loved ones. Yeah. That was, you know, we, we can, this turns into a larger conversation, but I mean, literally doing local volunteering for your local neighborhood and community gets your face out there. You get to know more people from more backgrounds. You are visibly the good guy. People know you if something happens, uh, and then, and these are people that you, these are the people you're trying to help protect if you're a, if you're a high responder. So yeah, get involved in your neighborhood and all that hippie kumbaya stuff, as well as learning how to, uh, do a bill drill into, into, uh, into a credit card and a, and a forehead. So. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I, I, I think we covered a good amount of points. I'd say that this probably, I think this brings us to, to the end of the episode. Uh, you know, we, we covered kind of some of the recent incidents that have gone on that precipitated this. We have talked about the branch tree and, and decision-making matrix uh, for if you're in the moment deciding what to do or, or how to do it. Uh, you know, what kind of training can you get under your belt beforehand to make you prepared to execute 
the, the branch tree? And what can you do even before that to hopefully ideal goal for everybody is to just not wind up in a situation where you have to put those skills to use in the first place. Um, so hopefully this was some good information for you guys. Uh, Dave, thank you for jumping on with me and, and riffing about this for a little bit. And stay tuned for the next episode of Recoil TV Podcast. We really appreciate you tuning in and we'll talk to you next time.